50 of Pods in the key Springfield Couldn't find any trumpets, so we had to do that on guitar. Well, we made it to 50 episodes. Imagine! I mean, actually, several more than that if you count all the other shit we've done, but uh, yeah. But we don't. No, no. None of that counts. Oh, very nice. Alright. Oh! <laughs> buzzing. That's enough of that. <laughs> Take that guitar and throw it away. Throw it away. Episode 50 of Pods. Today we are looking at Season 5, Episode 6, Marge on the Lamb. Marge on the Lamb. And we're looking at Season 5, Episode 7, Little Buddy Boys, so, Little Inner Child. So Marge on the Lamb is the episode where Marge finally becomes the Suvlaki salesperson she's always dreamed of being. Yes. Yep, she's carving lamb, she's slinging tzatziki. Slinging? Yeah, she's uh, juggling tabbouleh and hummus and all the all the ingredients you might want in a good suvlaki. Sure. Yes, okay. Or a euros. Or a euros, yep. Yes. Yep. Or any of the other, you know, combinations. Anything else you might put lamb in. Any of the other Or maybe chip. just those two things. It, it's only those two things. I guess they call them a kebab in some regions, a uh, doner kebab. Yes, in some regions, yes. Yes. So it's about that. Yes. Yes. Cool. Uh, so that's what that is. And then what's what's Little Barty Boy's Little Inner Child about? Uh, Bart's Inner Child is about Bart finally listening to his inner child who tells him to become a Suvlaki salesperson. I see. So yeah. this is where the Simpsons become Suvlaki men. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a very specific pairing. That is. Yeah, actually... never noticed the odd connection these two have. I'm like, yeah, very Suvlaki heavy. You know... For something that turns out to be a linchpin of both episodes, it's strange that that pairing has always gone over my head. Yeah. Well, uh, let's talk about them today. Let's see what kind of uh, secrets we can unpack. Let's talk about Suvlaki, <laughs> etc. Yes. Um, cool. Uh, the poetry reading that stars Marge on the Lamb. Yeah, where they're watching public broadcasting and mm. uh, the guys, and it smiles are free, don't you know, that whole thing. Yeah, uh, where things like... Um, uh, Where the, the, women, the, the women are pink-cheeked, the men are... Robust, and, and the children are pink-cheeked and robust. robust. Yeah, I that entire thing goes over my head, because I watch it and think, <laughs> this must be a reference to something that I'm just not getting. Yeah. I, is it a reference to a specific thing, or is it just the general concept of the kind of niche eliteness of public TV in America? Or is it meant to be a commentary on the shittiness of public TV in America? I imagine there must be a specific person this is a parody Mm. of, some sort of very pretentious, like mundane, not very good comedy person who... Because I But I also find it very funny. I have a British touch point for that. Yeah. There's a guy that... It's a show called Ooh My Knickers. (laughs) No, no, no. There's a guy that does this spoken word... He used to do these spoken word monologues on BBC Radio. Yeah. Um, and they were in the exact tone that's being parodied here, but I don't think those made it to America. Huh. Um, What's that guy's name? Do you remember? I'm I'm about to look it up. Okay. Because I should have done this earlier on, <laughs> and I did not. While we're doing that, I'll also point out that the Edward the Penitent sketch made me laugh a lot. Yeah. Well, sorry doesn't cut it with this Pope. <laughs> um, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I also enjoy things that are jokes. What? One thing I would like to ask you, though, so it opens with them watching a telethon Yes. for public broadcasting. Are telethons still a thing? Because it seems like now when I hear about any sort of crowdfunding thing... It's always like someone in America can't afford to go to hospital and they need money. Um, telethons are still a thing, but yeah. um, I know that every year Channel 7 in Perth do a big um, monologue... Uh, monologue. Sorry, <laughs> I, that, my Google search... <laughs> they walk out. Alas, poor Yorick. I knew him well. My Google search is blending into my real life. Alan Bennett is the name of the guy. Alan Bennett. I'm going to see if I can find a quick um, monologue to play. Alan Bennett. So his initials are AB, which is, of course, a dish that you would typically get served in a South Australian uh, Euro store. That is a very good point. Yeah. Um, what are you looking at now? I'm trying to find a sample of Alan Bennett. Oh, okay. To, to play. Because so 
the, the tone's very similar. Okay. Um, and while we're doing that, I'm going to talk about whatever the other thing is. Uh, this is our segment, Browsing for Bennett. Browsing for Bennett. So this is called... I think this is it. He had a show called Talking... I'm going to use my Bluetooth speaker. He had a show Ooh. called Talking Heads. This is called A Chip in the Sugar. A Chip in the Sugar. Well, people gather round and I pick up her bag and she sits up. She says, I've laddered both my stockings. I said, never mind your stockings. What about your pelvis? She said, it's these bifocals. They tell you not to look down. I was avoiding some sick. Somebody says, that's a familiar voice. And there's a little fella bending over her. Green trilby hat, shorty raincoat. Hello, he says. Remember me? Well, she doesn't remember people, I know for a fact. And the smiles are free, don't you know? See, it's exactly the same. But I do not think this is the cultural touch point that made it to America. Who is this chowder head? (laughs) That was Alan Bennett. Uh, That was Alan Bennett doing a thing called a chip in the sugar. Oh, I just came up with, do you want to send that to a Chromecast? I don't own a Chromecast. (laughs) I hope one of my neighbours is going to enjoy the... So that that thing, a chip in the sugar, I think that's what it was called. Yep. That went for 28 minutes. These are one-man radio play monologues that he's been doing on BBC Radio for about 45 years. Just get a podcast, buddy. Right? Yeah. He was a mm. white man. I don't see why he probably has one, actually. Sorry, you've just put into context the extent <laughs> of my house, which is made of glass, and the thrones <laughs> which I am sto- uh, which is the stones which I am throwing. You're right. I am taking a very fucking <laughs> contra- self-contradictory approach to be like, hey man, what are you just waffling on for hours and hours on end about unimportant things for? Anyway, here's on episode 50, a milestone episode of Pods in the Keep Springfield. <laughs> Fuck me. Alright, anyway, Alan Bennett, that's my poetry reading note. Well, uh, Alan Bennett, if you're out there and you would look, like to refute our insults, uh, you know, you're probably doing a lot better than us, so I wouldn't worry about it. I also enjoy that... Okay, that story went for 28 minutes and we only heard about 40 seconds of it. Yeah. But Didn't I hear anything about chips or sugar. And I couldn't pick up a single fucking context clue as to what was happening. It was no. just an endless series of adjectives. So, uh, look, Marge, she gets some tickets to the, the ballet. Sure. The ballot. The ballot, yes. And we see Homer imagining what he believes the ballet to be. We see the little bear in the little car. Yes. Did you notice how poorly attended Homer's imagined ballet is? It was in a big... Big. Uh, like a circus. <coughs> a big, big circus tent, yeah. Yeah, and there were seven people in the audience. Oh, you counted? Yeah. I counted all seven of them. Mm-hmm. Little bear going around in a circle. Mm-hmm. Homer losing his mind. Could it be a matinee show? Like a less attended afternoon matinee bear car show? Surely it would have to be, but why is this the thing that Homer is imagining? Why would he not imagine the, the full crowd? The, you know, the excitement, the prestige of the ballet... That's an interesting point. Yeah, I feel like there's an ongoing thing in this show of people's people trying to imagine the most uh, uh, you know the most amazing scenarios they can, but they're always a little bit shit. Yeah, and I yeah I, I suppose on one level it would make more sense for Homer to imagine the ballet, but he's surrounded by very very wealthy well-to-do people. Yeah, in a very they're big all crowd. wearing their monocles, saying, "My word, hmm. I'm a lord and I'm a lady." Oh, this is, this is fucking here we go. It's Alan Bennett 2.0. <laughs> Special guesting on the Pods of Kids Springfield account. I'm a lady wearing a green trilby hat, don't you know? <laughs> uh, bear in a little car. Cross that out. Very good. So Lisa, Lisa corrects him by showing him a big book she seems to have. The big book of British ballet. <laughs> Just uh, it's a big book that just has the word ballet in big letters on the cover, yes. and then just photos of ballet. Very convenient book. Yeah, where did is this book a, come from? Is that a coffee table book? Do you think? You know how sometimes you get those coffee table books that just have art pictures inside them. Yeah, and they cost like eighty five dollars. And yeah, it's for people who haven't heard of Google Images. And they're yet. always like from <laughs> cameras that aren't taking very high quality, or they're not like transferring to the paper very well. They're quite grainy. Grainy. Often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt Graney. Yes, yeah, exactly. Good. Um, uh, yes, maybe it's one of those, or maybe she went to the Springfield Library and checked out a book on the ballot. Yeah, just to, to better educate her father. 
picked it up from a crate of books about ballot the the ballot box. She went to the ballot box. Oh, she went to the ballot box. The ballot box. Are you accusing Lisa of uh, tampering with voter voter registration? Or yes, I am. Okay. Okay, I have been mean to bring this up. Do you think that Lisa was somehow involved in rigging the 2016 American election? That's interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, Is there a precedent being set here? A precedent being set? Ooh, <laughs> well... <laughs> Uh, no, the thing is, I, I, I don't think Lisa was involved in the 2016 election because I don't think she's fully crossed over into our timeline yet. Not yet? Not yet. You think it's going to happen, though? Mm, well. 2020? <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, All right, well, Simpson 2020, look out for it. Thanks, PlayStation. Uh, a lot of my notes are just quotes. I, <laughs> I don't normally do quote notes. No, you're not a quote noter. No. Or a note quoter. I am a notable. You have you have hit your note quota for this uh, this point. episode. Next episode, not so much. And I am a quotable noter. Yes. Um, but okay. So uh, my next point is about the actual ballet performance. But I think you've probably <clears> got something else before that. I got a bunch of stuff about this vending machine, or some thoughts about the vending machines that Homer gets trapped in. Because I feel like, uh, first of all, this is a very good PSA for not sticking your hands up vending machines. Just don't stick your hands up anything. That's my yeah, advice. I mean, try to avoid it try as much to avoid as you can. It. But here's the thing. Now, when Homer gets his hands or his arms stuck inside two vending machines at once, which is a nice little bit. Yeah. And he has this, he imagines this scenario where he is at Maggie's wedding and he starts firing snacks into the crowd. Yes. A scene I love. It always reminds me of an incident from my childhood. If you'll indulge me for a bit of a James's childhood storytelling corner. I can't wait to see the outcome of the story and how it links back. Okay. So little James... Uh, when I was five years old, I had this pedal car at home. It was like, it was a nice one. It was like a Mercedes pedal car. Very nice. And I'd get in there and pedal it around, you know, drive my little car around, you know, have myself a whale of a time. And one time I had, I had a cousin who I went to school with. He was the same age, well, he's still the same age as me. Uh, his name is Matt, unrelated to the other Matt that I've mentioned a few times on this podcast. Wouldn't that be amazing if you said he was the same age as me? No longer is. <laughs> yeah, Weird much experiment. older than me. <laughs> But uh, he came around to my house after school one day, and we were playing in my pedal car, um, pedaling around, you know, having myself a wonderful time, and then he gets in and he starts pedaling, and I, on reflection, somewhat selfishly decide that he's had enough time, and that it's my turn in the pedal car, and I wanted to get out of there. I see. So I'm like, alright, Matt, uh, turns up, mate, get out, and he's like, alright, Gov, I think I'm just going to stay in here a bit longer, I think... Uh, think I'm having a right whale of a time and I don't think it's up to you to declare when it's over. I'm like, all right, mate, you know, you've had your fun. I think it's time for you to roz off and I'm going to get in there. Roz off? Yeah, I, I, that might be a phrase. But anyway, push comes to shove. He's not getting out of the car. Are these two new characters? We've got James, Matt, push and shove. <laughs> sure. All right, okay. Yeah, they're like little cartoon figures so only we could see. I see. But anyway, I was, getting, I was getting agitated. So I'm like, okay, I'm going right. to put a stop to this. Is that, a th- is that a fifth character? No. So so I went into the next room and I got agitated. And I brought him back and said, right, agitated. You need to sort him out. Yeah, the funny thing is agitated was actually a very calm mediator. <laughs> it uh, resolved disputes without any uh, any voices raised or anything. Well, I remember his arbitration business said by name, not by nature. <laughs> anyway, I decide I want Matt to get out. So I think I'm what's hi- the best way to... I'm high-fiving myself for that one, by the way. What's the best way to prevent... To get him out. So I think, okay, if the wheels aren't turning on the car, then he can't drive it. Simple mathematics. So I decided the best way to stop the wheel is to grab it, of course. Mm. So I grab onto the wheel of this car, and look, my thumb gets pretty jammed in there. Uh, Jammed between, like, the wheel uh, and, you know, whatever that part is. And I... The wheel arch. And I pull once, I pull twice, and I'm like, huh, my thumb's pretty jammed in there. And look, my thumb's only jammed in there for a little bit, but I have this moment, and look, maybe I'm being a bit fanciful here remembering what I was thinking when I was five, but my memory is briefly thinking, huh, is this just going to be my life now? Am I going to be stuck as part of this car? And I... Had this like moment in my head where I flashed forward, imagining myself as an adult, just riding this car around, <laughs> with my thumb still stuck in it, and like that would be my life. 
Fuck. And when I see Homer with this vending machine, uh, you know, it really brings that back. Mm. And just to finish this story, even though the Simpsons part of it is now past, eventually I pull my thumb out, blood shoots everywhere, everywhere. all over the room. And I'm like, huh, it's not great. So I go and see my dad. I'm like, oi, pa, uh, I got a bit of a problem here, bleeding all over the place, in it? So he looks at my thumb and he says, oh, yeah, it's not an issue. Just like running under some cold water. All right. So I do that. My mum gets home from work, looks at my thumb and says, yeah, that needs stitches. You're going to the doctor right now. So now if you look at my thumb, I got a pretty handy scar on there. Oh yeah, that is handy. Yeah. It's literally my hand. (laughs) And it's also useful for storing things. Yeah. The scar has faded somewhat over time. It's still quite prominent. You can see where the stitches were. Mm. So that is uh, whenever I see that scene of him shooting the candy out at the wedding, I think back to the day of my youth. I got my thumb stuck in a car. That's interesting. Yeah. When I see that scene of uh, Homer at Maggie's wedding, I think of two things. So we're looking at least 18 years in the future at this point. Yeah. Um, And in that time, Homer has learned or taught himself to manipulate the machine in a way that it can now dispense things freely and in fucking projectile Shooting out into the audience, yeah, firing, firing Kansas of uh, coke all but, over the place, but doing that in a way that does not release him from the mechanism. Yeah, yeah, I've always found that to be a little bit like, but his hand is in the shoot that the cans come out of. How is ejecting cans not solving the problem for him? I always wonder whether he's getting the you know getting the snacks in there replaced over time yeah because yeah. Of the te- are these machines getting serviced because it, the, the 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 serviceman the technician person would come along and say well i've got to open this up to restock mm. it you know what i'm going to do while i'm opening it up i'm going to move your arm because the entire inner workings will be exposed by this point yeah but they don't do that instead so they have to cut homer's arms off and they grow back they go back. That's yes. my understanding of what happens in that scene, right? Yes, yes, yeah. that's 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 correct. Yes. yes, that'll do, boy. That'll do. So this episode is largely about Marge hanging out with Ruth Powers. Yes. And uh, a few things hit me looking at Ruth and what she's up to. First of all, Ruth, very cool character. I like Ruth a lot. Very cool cat. Yes, very cool cat, Daddy-o. Oh. And it's, <laughs> it's disappointing that she... More or less disappears from the show after this episode, I Dad, think. Daddy, it was a bit much. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Why does she disappear from them? Hmm. And the other thing that occurred to me is. It, it's strange that a character as one dimensional as Bumblebee Man <laughs> is a permanent recurring fixture, and yet a character who is as varied and as useful as Ruth Power. I do have a theory on this, I should literally look up two episodes. Very quickly, if you want to vamp for a moment. I want to suck your blood! Uh, 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 uh. Oh, wait. I'll give you some thinking music. Okay. Are you going to find it straight away? Uh, I'm just about there. Hang on. Okay. I'm just waiting for the signal from Oh yeah, sure, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Okay, so my theory was because Ruth Power was voiced by somebody not part of the main cast, sure. they can't just bring them back every time. Looks like Pamela Reed voiced her the first time. Uh, Pamela Reed, she pops up in a bunch of stuff. I'm not super familiar with her. She was in Kindergarten Cop. She was Leslie Nope's mum on Parks and Recreation. Oh, sure. That's what most people would know her from. And that looks like Pamela Hayden... Played her after that, so just a different Pamela, who I think is a, yeah, much more common... Yeah, she plays like Milhouse and yeah, Rod sure. and Jimbo, and so I feel like they could only get Pamela Reed in a few Let's times, see. probably. And herein ends Jekyll's casting corner. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, so I guess that's why we never see it back. The other thing that I saw on that wiki that I was oh, thinking fuck. about... Smash my guitar into my couch. <laughs> I was I was thinking while we're watching this, uh, Ruth must be close to our age, and according oh. to the wiki, she's thirty six, so a little bit older. A little but bit older. Not a lot older. Not a lot older. 
Why did you think that Ruth must be close to our age? Because she is about Marge's age. Oh. And Marge is 34, I believe. Mm. And they seem about this. They seem like contemporaries. Sure, 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 sure. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. So I'm watching these two people like, oh shit, these these people are about our age and look at the lives they're living. (laughs) Yeah. It feels very different from my life. Yeah, getting stooged on child support and stealing a car. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying it's better. I'm just saying it feels, uh, I don't know, more like what I thought adulthood would look like. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, neither of them have a dumb podcast. <laughs> that's a good point. I think Ruth would probably beat up people that listen to podcasts. She would beat the shit out of us. Mm. Oh, for sure. Without a doubt. And we would deserve it. Frankly, I'd be a little into it. Um, I want... When they go to watch the ballet... Yeah. And we get the excellent joke of the ballet dancer dunking and breaking the glass backboard... Yeah. Um, I really want there to be a basketball that's thrown up to her alley-oop style for her to then dunk into the ring and break the backboard. Well, maybe that could happen in that movie you're developing, Paper Jam. <laughs> Listen to episode 49 to get the context of that joke. How does it relate to ballet? Because <laughs> Space Jam is a basketball movie. Yeah, I guess You're over this. How does space relate to basketball? It's the same analogy. But there are aliens in Space Jam. That's what the movie is about. Space is to basketball as paper is to ballet. Classic analogy. (laughs) I mean, there's some logic there. Um, I really enjoy uh, when Marge and when Ruth starts taking Marge to all the different bars, mm. and we see the the kind of country western bar. Yeah. And uh, Willie's on the mechanical horse, and after a while of him bucking around on it, he says, "How come no one else's chair is doing this?" That is a very that is my preferred type of joke. That is your lock of the week for this episode. For it this is my bit. lock of the week. Also in that scene, uh, we get Mudge getting hit on by this guy quite aggressively. And he says, I always get what I want. And she says, I said no. And then the guy backs off and he's like, oh, I'm, oh, I'm sorry, I completely misunderstood. My apologies, walks away. I'm watching and think, isn't it kind of sad that this is like a thing that we can joke about? Like the idea that he would back away yes. when she says no is like worthy of being a joke. That's sad. Yes, what, what a funny concept that someone might listen and respect the boundaries of a woman. This episode has a kind of sad vibe to it. There's a lot of like, mm. uh, like Marge's life continues to be sort of like Loki. There's like moments of heartbreak here. You know, like Marge's when she says to... life continues to be like Loki from the Thor, <laughs> from the Thor universe, from the Thorniverse. Yeah, from the Thorniverse. Interesting. Like when she says to Homie, you know, you know, I have a hard time making friends, and it's you know largely his fault. Mm. Like she's young, she likes fun, she should get a divorce. I've been saying that since the beginning. I know they have a good sex life, but she should she should leave Homer. Interesting. And she should go, go gallivant. She should go uh, uh, continue pursuing her favorite hobbies, such as musical theater and shooting antique cans. <laughs> yes, uh, we'll get to those cans. I'm a big fan of the cans. Big can fan. Big can fan. I want to talk about Lionel Hutz. Sure. You're a, you're a doppelganger on the show, I suppose. But <laughs> something I was thinking about the other day, because I was talking to somebody at a wedding uh, about The Simpsons, because mm. what else is there to talk about? You know, Literally nothing. Only one of two of my best friends getting married to each other. But anyway, uh, we were talking about this podcast and about the fact that we're up to season five. And something occurred to me... How are you rocking up to a friend's wedding and talking about your own podcast? Yeah, actually, it was during my best man speech. I was like, hey, look, guys, I got this podcast. I actually was best man. I didn't mention the podcast in the speech at all, though. You'll be happy to know. I enjoy that you clarified that. (laughs) Anyway, um, it occurred to me while I was talking to someone that something that hasn't been happening in season five so far is that the episodes haven't had B stories until this one. Interesting. They haven't had any stories about bees. Yeah. I mean, there's been wasps, there's been hornets, you know, but Mm. we've been lacking bee stories. Bee stories. And then this one's got Lionel Hutz as the babysitter. Yes, the the, the babysitter. Yeah, the babysitter. Yeah, I see. (laughs) Because he has that BB gun. Yeah. Which he shoots the children with. In the bee story. Mm. Interesting. And this is a fun little thing. Lionel Hutz at the home turns into Miguel Sanchez. Yes. Have they really not had any? I haven't been paying attention to that. There are really no B stories. I don't think so. I feel like we made some jokes about B stories, but like, uh, 
Like Homer's Barbershop Quartet, that's just mostly them singing and occasionally it cuts to them in the present day, but that's a very minor thing. Cape Fear is very focused on Little Buddy Boy. Mm-hmm. Homer Goes to College, also very focused. Rosebud, that's entirely about the bear and Citizen Kane. Uh, the Treehouse of Horror, you know, that's a Treehouse of Horror. And then we got this one with Lionel Hutz. Hmm? I wanted to say that I... I think Homer Goes to College does have a B story, but they're both Homer stories. The A story is Homer trying to fit into a college world through the lens of how he views it, and the B story is Homer trying to get the qualifications to retain his job. But it, it, I wouldn't it, count that as a B story. Mm, I, I, think I, it's all, I think it's all the same story. Like I think, for me, a B story is you leave the characters who are in the main story and you go and see something with some other people. We do. We leave the three nerds that are helping Homer get through college through the lens of how he views college and we yeah. go back to Homer in the lecture theatre. I'm going to die on this hill. This is the, this is the thing. I've, this is the only opinion I've ever decided to keep. Okay, I disagree strongly enough that I feel like I should argue the point. Because <laughs> I feel like that's all the same plotline. It's all about what is happening to Homer. The nerds are bit players in Homer's narrative. It's all about what is happening to Homer the whole way through. There are digressions, but it's all related to the same thing. He goes back to the college at the end with the knowledge he's gained from all these other adventures, and they very pointedly say, like, this has been on hold, basically, and now we're back mm. to it. Mm. I, don't, I don't think... I wouldn't count that as a B story. I think that's all one story, baby. Nah. <laughs> no, because I, I think if, if, if you're going to draw... If you're going to say things like, uh, it can't be a separate story because it's what's hap- it still counters what's happening to Homer then I'll refuse to accept any B stories on the basis that it's what's happening to The Simpsons. No, but I think, okay, a B story needs to be a story you could pull out of the episode and you have can. as its own little thing. You can! Okay, so what? what Homer, is the episode Homer, if you pull out this B story? The, I think that there is a B story of Homer going to college, failing to get his qualifications at first, then going back <laughs> and presumably getting the qualifications again. But to get that story, you need to cut out the whole middle section where he's hanging out with the nerds. That is part of that story. No. <laughs> no. There's Homer's journey as he navigates college. And there's the academic <laughs> retaining his job. But he's only going to college to retain that job. I love how the much? impetus from to go to college is to get the job back. It's all but the same story. The A and the B story can intertwine. They can have common elements to them. Yeah, but there's a difference between intertwining and being fundamentally <laughs> reliant on each other. <laughs> if you take out one, the other one doesn't work. <laughs> like if you, if it was just Homer going to college, you're like, why the fuck is Homer going to college? And if it was just Homer needs to retain his job, it would just be like he just does. Because you wouldn't see him go to college. Hmm. <laughs> no, I still, I, I still disagree. <laughs> you only disagree because you've declared your willingness to die in this hell. <laughs> you've run out of arguments. No, it's just that I've made my arguments, and I don't. Think, I'm not convinced by yours over mine. All right, should we should we throw this out to the listeners? Okay, so if uh, oh, like if, if, be a if you agree with me, uh, use the hashtag James is obviously right. <laughs> and if you agree with Nick, use the hashtag uh, I'm with Nick for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be a resounding defeat on my behalf. <sighs> anyway, oh, we'll see. All right, so that was a narrative theory corner <laughs> with James and Nick. Uh, one of whom I would like to point out has a master's degree in, uh, <laughs> yeah, don't forget. in English and media. Yeah, and don't forget about my master's degree in English and media. <laughs> anyway, uh, what the fuck was I talking about? Lionel Hutz. I'm sure. Uh, oh, Nick. Now, Lionel oh. Hutz. He, he, he makes a big deal about lawyers. Lawyer men. Lawyer people. Sure, yes, lawyer yes, women yes, yes, as well. Yes, he yes. says, uh... Yeah, he 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 talks about how it's unrealistic to expect lawyers to work in skyscrapers, have secretaries, and wear a belt. Sure. Do you work in a skyscraper? Do we use the word skyscraper here in Australia? Not really. Our buildings are not quite big enough in Adelaide, at least. But you work in a big building. Yeah, I guess so. You've got a secretary, don't you? 
I don't like the... Uh, um, uh, yes, we don't... Yeah. So, you've got an assistant or yeah, a, yeah. support staff. Yeah. And do you wear a belt? I do. Okay. I'm not wearing a belt now. But You're I wear, not wearing a tie at all. At all. But I wear a belt when I go to work. Okay. I don't like the word skyscraper. No? No. Did you see that movie with Dwayne The Rock Johnson? It's called Skyscraper. You had to climb that skyscraper. No. There's a fire in the skyscraper. A fire in the skyscraper. Yeah. I haven't seen it. No. Looks right. good though. Right. Yeah. Sure. Dwayne, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, you said. Yeah. Directed by... What's the guy's name? Rawson Thurber? Is that a real name? Doesn't sound like a real name. Rawson Thurber. Yeah, I'm going to look that up because that does not sound right to me. Uh, let's see. Skyscraper. He also directed San Andreas. The the Grand, the Grand Theft Auto game? Yeah, sure. Are you going to play music for me again? I've, I've already got it. I've got to be quicker on the uptake <laughs> with my thinking music. Yeah, it's Rawson Marshall Thurber. <laughs> he also, yeah, he directed San Andreas, a movie about a... Uh... Fault line. Yes. It's about an earthquake. And that movie... Oh, it is about an earthquake. Yeah. That oh. movie has a scene. Uh, Carla Gugino plays his ex-wife. And there's a scene where they're in a helicopter and the helicopter's going down. It's And uh, they jump out in these parachutes and they land in this baseball stadium. And they land, like, on the third base of the, of the, of the diamond... And uh, The Rock turns to her and says, been a while since I got you to third base. And she Ooh. turns and looks at him and gives the most genuine laugh. <laughs> and it is the most charming reaction <laughs> to a really terrible line. Did he ad-lib that line? Because that's, that's not a line you could laugh at more than once. It surely. is too pointed to be ad-libbed, I think. You don't just mysteriously land on the third base and then say nothing, right? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. And it is a charming, charming little scene. Weird hmm. movie. I kind of like that movie. I watched it on a plane. Sure. Didn't review well, but I thought it was okay. Right. And then the plane landed on the baseball field. Yeah. And you turned to everyone sitting in the vicinity of you and said... <laughs> the pilot came over the intercom and said, been a while since I got you all to third base, am I right? And everyone's like, uh, sir, we're all pretty shaken up here. <laughs> uh, that was a harsh landing. I mean, we, we killed Joe DiMaggio. <laughs> What was it like a charity exhibition game? I don't, I don't think he's playing in the regular the regular squads anymore. <laughs> in the regular squads, I couldn't think of any words. Ah, uh, antique cans, antique cans. Oh, uh, look what you've done to them! I think this might be a perfect joke. Yes, I do very much enjoy the antique cans guy. Yes, he is wonderful. And he comes out kind of dressed like a like a very skinny Santa. Yeah, he's like wearing a red romp, uh, romper. Yeah. Uh, he's just come out of bed. Oh. It's weird about the antique cans. Because I, I was watching this thing. It's weird that the antique cans are just set up along that fence. That's how he likes them. Yeah. That's how he likes his antique cans. They look like they're in very good condition as well. Do we know the name of the antique can collector? Uh, Canny Joe? I don't know. Do you have any theories on who it could be? What, you thinking Norman? I reckon Norman would be the type of person who's likely to collect cans. I don't know. He seems like the the Simpsons equivalent of like the log lady from Twin Peaks. You're going to have to fill me in on who that is. Okay, so the log lady is a woman who walks around uh, the town of Twin Peaks carrying her log, and the log speaks to her. She says that the log contains the... Basically, her dead husband is living in the log, and the log will communicate to her right. in fairly abstracted ways. And when you first get introduced to her, you know, it's presented like she's a bit of a joke. But as the show goes on, you realise, oh, everyone in this town believes and respects the log lady. Sure. This is part of what makes this town weird and special, because the log is actually talking to her. She knows some stuff. I see. Yes. And, uh, yeah, she is wonderful. You're like the dreamer. Dreams. And then lives inside a dream. Damn it, I'm trying to find what is a collector of cans called, but it's not really... Uh, is that a thing that there would be a term for? Oh, uh, it'd be one of those things where... So, you know those, like, those long lists of, like, phobias and stuff? Yeah. Most of those are not real phobias. It's just people taking the Latin mm. word, sorry, the Greek word for a thing and adding like phobia. Malocus, yeah. Yeah. Um, and adding phobia to the <clears> end of it. I expect the same would have been the case with Tin Can. It would have been someone using an old Latin word for vessel and putting 
Olive just on the end of it, or Tist on the end of it. Okay, well, if anyone out there is a can collector, if you could let us know what uh, terminology you like to use for your hobby of choice. Please do. Yes, please write in. Pods in the key of Springfield at gmail.com. Absolutely. Any stamp collectors, any philatelists who want to write in? Any flag collectors, any vexillologists that want to write in? How many more of these can you do? Philatelist, vexillologist... What's what? the term for somebody who just collects uh, terms for collectors? Oh. Because that's you. <laughs> I believe that's an ologistologist. Ologistologist. <laughs> yes. Okay. Like, um, like Humbert Humbert. <laughs> <laughs> the the pedophile from Lolita? <laughs> the world's premier ologistologist. <laughs> okay. I don't know. <laughs> Repetition's funny. Antique cans. I really enjoy that when they get in Ruth's car, they start... Ruth puts a tape in. Yeah. And it's playing the Sunshine and Lollipop song. And then when they... Uh, when Homer and Wiggum go to chase Marge and Ruth, they put in the tape and it's the Sunshine and Lollipop song. But the great part about that joke mm. for me... Yeah. Is that when Wiggum puts the tape in, you get two or three seconds of the instrumental bit before the verse. So you go... Oh, he's put on like a happy sounding song and you go, wait a minute, it's the Sunshine and Lollipop song again. <laughs> I really enjoy that there's that that little snippet that window. where you're not quite sure what the song is and then it comes and you go, that is nice. it's good. It's a fun bet. I guess they got the rights to the song, they want to use it at least twice. Sure, except they only use uh, Welcome to the Jungle once. Yeah, well, mm. that's they've got fun and games, they've got lots of money to spend uh, and it was suitable for their aims. So look, I think the episode gets a bit weird pretty good around this point where the ghost car where homer's in the car with uh wiggum and they start chasing marge and ruth because one light is slightly bigger than the other one and they Mm. run because it's a stolen car the fact that homer is with wiggum because he's been wandering around town lonely and confused after Mm. one night without marge Mm. the codependency thing that or not codependency just dependency Mm. that the simpsons plays up sometimes Mm. Uh, can sometimes come across as more desperate and sad than the sort of like funny sweetness they're going for, I think. Yeah. Yeah, Homer loses the plot really, really quickly. Yes, he does. And uh, the, you know, the fact that they start chasing Ruth and Marge and Ruth is in a stolen car, but like you never clarify whether the police are aware of this. Yeah. They never look into this. There's I never mean, a scene where they, you know, run the plates or anything. That is true. I do suppose it because it is an offence to evade a police chase. So at the time, or to, or to to um, fail to comply with the reasonable offence, uh, the reasonable directions of a police officer, yeah. which includes the standard lights on, pull over, um, and so maybe they go, all right, well, this person's running away from us. We have mm. a reason to chase them now. But you're right; they should. They should run the plates to see if it was stolen. And then it's even weirder when they're driving back from that diner and they drive past Wiggum and Homer and Wiggum's, you know, doing the eggs. Mm, and, and Homer looks up, he's like, oh, there they go. Why is Homer thinking his own wife? Oh, shit, good point. Yeah. Why would he not just let her go? Huh. Why does he have to point it out? Like, his wife is being chased by the police. You know, she could have gone away with all of this. That's interesting. Because it would almost be better to have Homer cooking the engine block eggs, and then Wiggum sees them. Yeah, but they don't do that. Homer thinks on his wife. Yeah, he does. This is why she should get a divorce. Is it because, like, he's so sad and desperate that he thinks, well, at least if she's in jail, I know where she is? I mean, I really liked this episode, but none of this makes any sense. Yeah. (laughs) I, I was having a really good time watching it. I laughed a lot. I think there's some really good jokes in there. The plot gets very weird because uh, they really want to force that Thelma and Louise thing. Yes. And they don't quite do the work required to get there. I really enjoy Wiggum's line directly under the Earth's sun now because it makes me think the fact that he has to specify, is he an intergalactic cop? Intergalactic cop? Mm. Oh, okay. Mm. Uh, Well, what do you think? Is I he some sort of, like, space dandy sort of figure? Space, space dandy? <laughs> yeah, that's an anime that I think is about into, like, a cop. Maybe it's not, actually. Oh, fair enough. There is an anime called Space Dandy, though. No, Space Dandy's about an intergalactic fop. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Very good. Um, fuck. That's good. Uh, uh, I think he is probably an intergalactic cop. Okay. I reckon he's uh, probably given a citation to Kang and Kodos. Yeah? Once or twice. Okay. 
Okay, good. Mm. Well, I'm glad. Mm. Uh, hopefully we'll get to see his adventures in a later episode. I would hope so. Yeah. Wiggum, Space Cop. Oh, we can call it Wigs in Space. <laughs> Perfect. Cool. So, yeah, good episode. Ruth is, uh, Ruth is great. It's a shame we never see her again. So I have literally no notes for the next episode. Sorry, I have one note. Okay. The um, next episode being Bart's inner child, the Brad yes. Goodman one. So this is largely going to be me reading my notes. You'd be like, oh, yes. good and, point, James. And so this is, of course, the episode... I'm skipping ahead here, but for a purpose, so go yep. with me. This is, okay. of course, the episode with the Do What You Feel festival. Yep. In the spirit of that festival, I'm going to make myself a coffee. Would you like one? Uh, yes. Tremendous. And in this... Should I keep talking while you make the yeah. coffee? Yeah. 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 And I'll just occasionally yell things out. Okay. Okay, so... Okay, finally, I've gotten rid of Nick. The podcast is all about me now, baby. Let's I get on with it. I hear you, baby! Okay, so this episode opens, of course, with the Tramapoline, Trabopoline, that whole bit. Uh, I remember a few years ago going to an, an art exhibition here in Adelaide that was all local artists doing Simpsons-themed art, and it was also collectors bringing their collections in. And I remember there was a cross-stitch on the wall... That was just, uh, the words, trambapoline, trambopoline, whatever it was. Just a cross-stitch that just said that. I think it was selling for about $25. I was uh, tempted. Didn't buy it. But uh, this episode goes in very hard against trampolines. So I'm wondering, Nick, did you ever own a trampoline? Yes, I did. Yeah? Did you ever into yourself? Uh, yes, frequently. It had blue... <laughs> we, we put blue foam padding around the sides... Where the springs were, because I hurt myself on the springs. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, let's uh, talk. Uh, let's let's talk trampolines a bit. Let's wrap you and me, uh, listener. Uh, the Jesus, the trampoline. We had. I had a trampoline when I was a kid, and my cousins had trampolines as well. And I had one of my cousins, not Matt from the other one, my cousin Dan. He would injure himself on the trampoline all the fucking time because he just wasn't very careful on trampolines. Can I just jump in to say the way that you said the trampoline sounded as though you were going to go into a very earnest BBC style <laughs> documentary about the trampoline had its origins in 16th century Venezuela. Well, yeah, smiles are free, don't you know? Oh, smiles are free, don't you know? And green trilby. And you know, as an adult, I look back on the trampolines of my childhood and I think, ah, trampolines are kind of death traps. There's a, they're very dangerous. It's kind of wild that children used to just jump on them with complete abandon. Of course, now trampoline designs are a lot safer. Generally, they have the netting around the side. It's been a long time since I've seen one of the trampolines of my youth, you know, crusted in rust and uh, covered in the blood of the children who have injured themselves on it. Seems like trampolines are in a better place now than they used to be. Also, yeah. trampoline design is a very good way to sort out fuckwits from non-fuckwits. Sure. If you, if you complain about the snowflake nature of modern trampolines, you should seriously rethink yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's better that people aren't injuring themselves badly on trampolines. Exactly. And if you're, you know, if you hold up your scars as a badge of honor, try to think back to being a child and injuring yourself and think, huh, don't much care for this. You literally told a story about your scar a few moments ago, James. Yeah. Homer gets this trampoline, and he's convinced that the trampoline is going to revamp his entire life. He's very invested in this trampoline. It's a nice little starter plot. All the kids come around. They badly hurt themselves. Homer imagines uh, Homerland, which would be like a Disneyland run by him. Bunch of mattresses stuck together. Bunch of trampolines, you know, a pit of mud. And as always, I like that even in Homer's imagination, all of his dreams amount to very little. Everything that he, uh, everything that he strives for, is essentially shit. That's is, a nice little thing. Is Homerland? Uh, I'm I'm part way through making the coffees. It's a multi-stage process. Yep. Is Homerland where Banksy got the idea for Dismaland? <laughs> Possibly. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> interesting. 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 And that, that cross-stitch that had uh, Trambapoline, Trambopoline, when you handed over the $25 to buy it, did it shred itself? Man, what a, what a fucking crock that is. <laughs> the whole Banksy shredding the art thing. Mm. I mean... Not a fan? Well, the art didn't drop in value at all. No, like, it's not a strike against anything. It actually increased the value of the yeah. piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just Banksy rubbing his head. Oh, I'm a rapscallion, I am. Mm. Have you ever... There's one of my favourite tweets of all time, I think, is uh, somebody tweeting, like, oh, my roommate Banksy 
just handed me a coffee and said, here's something that'll really wake you up. And it's just a coffee with a piece of paper sticking out that says the government is bad. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, have you seen these, um, these LimeWire memes I said to you as you walk away again? <laughs> it's going to be such a ramshackle episode. Walk away. What do we feel? Yeah. Walk, walk away and knock my headphones off. The LimeWire memes. I have seen the LimeWire memes coming up and I enjoy them. Have you seen the the one from this episode? Where it's Millhouse coming out of the mattress thing saying... Oh. It, well, it's like it smells... Uh, like a virus in there? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying, no, it doesn't. It's a strange little meme that's going around, this whole LimeWire thing. I don't know where it came from exactly, but... Uh, Is that one of those memes that just exists on Australian Simpsons meme pages? Potentially. I mean, look, if we were smart business people, we would convert the post in the key of Springfield Facebook account into a meme account because that is 150% the best way to gain listeners. But I don't want to do that. It's so much effort and I'm not that interested. Or we could just be independently famous and also have a Simpsons podcast. That's the other way to get listeners. Sure. Yeah. Okay, so one thing that I really noticed in this episode is that Krusty lives in a fairly ordinary house. When we see home and go to collect that trampoline, I don't know, you would expect Krusty to live in a much bigger house than he does. Well, think about when his TV show gets cancelled and they have the auction where they sell off all his stuff. Yeah. He's in a mansion. In the one where he has the offshore accounts the, in the Cayman Islands? Yeah. Yeah. I guess he upgrades. I guess so. Probably so, from all those offshore accounts. So Homer has to ditch the trampoline. And he drives it out to a canyon and he throws it off and this whole wily Coyote situation plays out. What do you think of that scene, Nick? I love it. You love it? I enjoy uh, Looney Tunes. I do enjoy the frivolity of that scene. It is like, I wonder how I would have felt at the time because I don't really remember, but it's, it is so cartoony, even by Simpsons standards. So completely wild that the trampoline bounces back up and slams him into the into the precipice, and then he's stuck there all night. Yes. Like, every time I watch that scene, I'm struck by the awfulness of being stuck in that situation. Yeah, because he's... Hang on. Okay, Nick is uh, completing the next step in the process. I really think the key to putting out this episode is to not edit any of this. <laughs> Here comes Nick. Um... A few things I like about that scene, the where the trampoline is bouncing on his head and repeatedly drilling him into the rock, mm. the timing and the kind of magnitude of the bounce yep. is very Looney Tunes. They got yeah. that 100% The comedic timing is perfect. Um, and it also <laughs> makes me freak out that when he's in, when he's embedded in the cliff, yeah. I'm assuming his arms are pinned down by his side. It seems very likely. That would be... Very unpleasant. That'd be torturous. Torturous. Yeah. And I think the mental anguish caused by that would affect him going forward. I agree. Yeah. So, look, they get rid of the trampoline and somehow the episode very suddenly pivots to Marge worrying that she's not fun enough because Homer says, well, at least I tried something different. I'm Homer, you're Marge. And then Marge goes to the kids like, oh, kids, do you think I'm no fun? I'm Marge, baby. I'm your mum. And... At this point, they do something very interesting where Lisa imagines all the situations in which her mother has not been particularly fun. And they do what I'm interpreting as a bit of a bait and switch where they make you think they're going to do a clip show. And then they don't. Well, they have that little montage of Marge not reacting well to things. The montage. Yeah. The montage. Uncommon for The Simpsons to do montages. Montages. Like yeah, montages. Yeah. Montage, my favorite character from Star Wars. Interesting. And, uh, yeah, I watched that. I'm like, are they trying to do a bait and switch here? Are they trying to trick people into thinking there's a clip show about to happen? I, I never. So got, they'll be I jubilant never, to the fact that there isn't? I never got that vibe. That's because you're very familiar with this episode, though, and you know it's not a clip show. Fuck. Imagine seeing this for the first time, fresh, you'd never seen it before. And you just sit down like, I'm going to see this uh, this episode with this, uh, what's the guy's name? Brad Goodman, baby. And then, yes. yeah. When I, the first time I saw this episode, speaking about Brad Goodman, I 100% thought as a child that Brad Goodman was meant to be a real person in the real world who was guest starring on The Simpsons. John Goodman? Well, I didn't think it was John Goodman. I didn't think he was on Roseanne 
Or now the Connors, now that Rosanna's dead. The Connors. The Connors. Sure. But um, yeah, I remember watching this as a kid thinking, huh, who's this Brad Goodman fellow? That's interesting. And now he, uh, I mean, he's voiced by Albert Brooks from the movie Drive, which we were talking about before. Yes. Yeah. He doesn't play standard combo, the guy you got very angry about. Uh, we were talking about that off air. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I just feel like... No, hey, I'm, do what you feel, I'm, baby. I, I'm pointing it out for the listeners who thought, wait, they, <laughs> they fucked up, they've edited this bit out. No, we haven't, it was off air. Uh, I mean, I hate to break it to some of our listeners, but James and I do talk in non-recorded forms as well. Yeah, as, much, as little as we can. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, frankly, it's, you know... Rough. Yeah, I mean, even doing this is going to be a pain. <laughs> um, is... This episode, why I find the majority of the kind of hand-waving approach to self-help so fucking laughable, or is this branch of hand-waving self-help inherently laughable? Okay, my take is there's a lot of self-help that people talk about that is inherently well-meaning, but not actually effective. Yes. (laughs) Like... You know those tweets that people make? They're like, hey, you, just so you know, you're a great person and you know, you're going to nail it today. Yes. I always see that. I'm like, no, nah, you don't actually know who's reading this. Yes. You don't know me. You have never reached out to see how I'm doing. Those, <laughs> so, those, those empty platitudes yeah. are useless. Yeah. And I'd like um, another thing, a little off topic, but you know that like, are you okay day? Yeah. I know people yeah. struggle with this day. Look, here's my thought. Every time this day comes ap- around, the entire argument now is about whether the day is a good idea or not. Mm. But I don't think anyone's actually doing it. I don't think anyone, no. like... Like, pointedly this year, I realized after Are You Okay Day, it's like, oh, I've had a really hard year and nobody asked me if I was okay on that totally. day. It's not a thing that... Yeah, so I feel like... Uh, I mean, that's kind of on topic, isn't it? It's, yeah, uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. A lot of these sort of, like, um, platitudes that people throw around, like... Uh, you know, they're not really meaningful without the the follow-through of actually checking in on people and making sure they are doing okay. And a lot of the sort of discourse around self-help by people who aren't maybe particularly informed about how self-help yeah. and care should actually work, mm. you know, it can look like that. I feel like, I think I had this episode recorded when I was a kid. I think I had oh, like a, a VHS. a VHS. Yeah, so I feel like I've maybe watched this episode a lot as a kid, but also didn't particularly like it. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, there's... there's well, this a... is not an episode that skews young, I think. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's, there's not a lot for a kid to cling to in this one. By an episode that skews young, you mean an episode that really gets stuck into Carl Jung, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, Dr. Jung has arrived. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. I also thought it was funny that to make that joke work, I had to do two different pronunciations of what I was <laughs> pretending was the same word. I do like that um, we see Troy McClure on Brad Gunfman's video and he's drinking that fortified wine. It, from says, a can? Yeah. What a horrifying idea. And he takes a sip and says, liquor eases the pain, which, same, you know? Yeah, no, I know. I do think it's great that in... And obviously, you know, due diligence, we have to say, if you have a dependency which is affecting your ability to yeah. know about your daily things, do something about it, please. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time... I do like that in an episode based entirely around self-help, it contains the line, liquor eases the pain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which comes back later as McGarnacle eases the pain. Yeah, As we get introduced to McGarnacle very briefly. McGarnacle. Although we don't get to see him. We don't see his little pal Billy or anything. That comes later. Later on. But yeah, bit of McGarnacle chat in this one. Mm. McGarnacle. McGarnacle Bill. My favourite seafood restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Thank you. <laughs> It's been a while since we talked about Barnacle Bill on this podcast. I don't think it has been. <laughs> I feel I feel like for episode fifty, I'm bringing back all the classics. The coffee machine made an appearance. I'm talking about Barnacle Bill. Papa? No, we're not bringing back. <laughs> not bringing back that. We said the classics, James. Okay, well, um, okay. My next question then is, who are you guys? <laughs> <laughs> Brad Goodman. There's a scene in this one where Bart is shoving a chair down a down a disposal. Oh, down an insincorator. Yes, an insincorator, sure. And he's riding it like a, a rodeo bull and saying, why is nobody else's chair doing this? <laughs> this? Yes, very good. I only recently became aware of just how common kitchen disposal, like sink disposals are in America. Yeah. They're in the vast majority of households. Yeah. Like, I've seen them in a lot of movies and TV shows. I'm like, huh, that's an interesting feature because we don't have them here. Um, 
my house at not my house the house i grew up in in pasadena not pasadena california um pasadena, pasadena, South pasadena. that that had one <laughs> yep so uh and Some and you know what release. yeah something that i've never thought about until just now is where does that go cuz i remember hmm. like you know so Instead, we would use it for, you know, like the, the nubby little bits at the end of a carrot and yep. the fucking, you know, fucking the end of a tomato that you're not using because where the stem was. That stuff all just got put in there. Mm. And now that I think about it, I have no idea where that stuff went. It's just connected to the um, the sink, basically, isn't it? It just goes yeah. into the sewer. Or, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Wow. I've never thought about <laughs> where that actually ended up. I mean, it was all fine. Yeah, well, but, your carrot oh, nubs well. are somewhere down there now. Mm. Yeah, feeding the crocodiles. Mm. The vast crocodile network that lives under our city. Yeah, and so over by the over by the power point that the toaster was plugged into, there was a separate switch on the wall that was controlling <coughs> the the motor and the blades of the Insincorator. I think yeah. in, I think Insincorator might be a brand name. I don't think that's the generic term. That's for not them. just a portmanteau but you've invented. No, it was uh, it was actually the brand on the because it had like a had like a rubber gasket that you would like push things through to keep your hands away from the little blades, little yeah. blady boys. Little blady and boys on, on the rubber gasket. It said Insincorator. Just sounds like a Pokemon name to me. Ah, there's an Incinnabore. What does the Incinerator grow up to be or evolve to be? I feel like it is the evolved form of something else. Oh, you mean it's the most evolved form? Yeah, it'd be the evolved form of like Pug Hole, which would be like a little dog. But it's also like a a plug hole. And then it turns into Incinerator, I guess. Sure. Yeah, it turns from a normal type to a fire type. Just because I'm thinking of incineration more than... Even though it doesn't do any incineration. Yep. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Everyone in town seems to go to this seminar because everyone in the entirety of Springfield is very on board with being like the boy. In Sincorator, Australia. So oh, yeah, that's an awfully blurry picture. It is. Yeah. It, I was, I was zoomed in quite a bit, but... Okay. So yeah, entire town, very invested in this, uh, do-what-you-feel festival. Which is an interesting turn because the entire town is very familiar with... The Simpsons and Bart, and they know yeah. that he's a little shithead. Yeah, he rips the head off of that, uh... Off the Jebediah Springfield statue. Yeah. Jebediah, I'm drunk. Yes. Um, the, um, the fucking, like, why do they, it, it, you know, for the whole town to suddenly go, oh yeah, that little shit, I suppose it's through <laughs> the lens of Brad McGoodman saying, this is what a perfect person is. I'm Brad Goodman, baby. This is what I think is the perfect way to live. Baby. But, uh, and, but, you know. It's called self care, baby. I suppose. I'm gone now. I suppose it's less of a commentary on uh, the townspeople being idiots and more of a commentary on the townspeople getting swept up by the rhetoric so quickly. Yeah. Which is a fairly common thing on the show, I suppose. They do tend to be very susceptible. Oh, I mean. Large numbers. Because they're actually. This I think this show is less a commentary on self-help and more of a commentary on mob mentality. Mm. Because we then get my favourite like bait and switch at the end. It's like, oh, they're headed towards the old mill. No, we're not. Let's go to the old mill anyway and get some cider. And then yeah. everyone just marches off towards the old mill. Mob mentality. I would be very much on board with going to the old mill to get cider, though. But I've never known exactly what Americans mean when they say cider. Do they mean like alcoholic cider, like what you and I would call cider? Or is it some other weird drink that's not alcoholic? Okay, well, the best way to think about it is if it's sweet and yellow, you got juice there, fella. Juice. If it's tangy and brown, you're inside of town. Mm, I see. I think it's non-alcoholic, typically. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, they would that's... have alcohol. I think they would call it alcoholic cider. Right. See, that that's the bit that I was confused Although by. Although it is Moe, so it's nice. Yeah, but we see Flanders, because he's the one at the cider thing, at, at the cider pressorium or whatever it is. The one that... And so that's why, you know... It is very telling that the moment we consider the possibility that they are getting a non-alcoholic cider, we lose all interest. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> There's also, like, when they're talking about um, why everyone has gone in for this whole thing, the do-as-you-do-what-you-feel-like festival, Lisa refers to the one-hour photo society. And, you know, Lisa, we've moved well beyond that now. <laughs> Yeah, do you have having to wait a whole hour to get your photos? Bullshit. Does she mean the Robin Williams movie from... One Hour Photo? Yeah. 
I have seen that movie. There's a scene in that movie where Robin Williams gets an Evangelion toy and he explains it to this kid. He's like, look at this toy. He's the good guy in this movie. He does this. I remember watching this movie as like a 15-year-old. Like, that's not the good guy. That's the bad guy from Evangelion. You ruined everything, Robin Williams. Take that toy and throw it away. I don't want to see this anymore. Throw it away. Yeah. Decent movie. Sure. I really like the scene between Smithers and Bernsey. Oh, at the, the do-it-you-feel do yeah. mm-hmm. Because I'm I'm very attached to Mr. Burns referring to ice cream as iced cream. Mm. I've always really enjoyed that line. That it is the very simplest good. joke, yeah. but it's wonderful. And you were, you were enjoying that scene. You were having yourself yeah. a time. Burns, when he's licking the ice cream, his, his entire focus is so gleefully mm. on his iced cream. Uh, it, it makes me happy. Now, the Do What You Feel Festival... Can I talk about ice cream for a minute? Yes. So, one of the ice cream companies in Australia has just released uh, a type of ice cream which they're calling frozen custard. And the idea is that it's meant to be like a thicker, richer, creamier ice cream. Sure. The issue that I take with that is that ice cream is literally frozen custard. Like, you make a custard and then you freeze it. That's the recipe for ice cream. And so to call it frozen custard and to say that it's better than ice cream seems very strange to me. It's like, hey, 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 this isn't ice. Mm. We're making frozen water here, baby. Baby. Well, that's what ice is. Like, I find it kind of baffling. That was a very good installment of Nick's Custard Corner. Hasn't come around in a while. Nick's Custard Corner. Okay, the Do What You Feel Festival. Yes. Basically, this festival is what YouTube looks like in the year 2018. That's interesting. Just a bunch of... Young idiots without any regulation, just doing whatever they want. Uh, it was with, it was weird when the Do What You Feel Festival went to the Suicide Forest. It was weird, yes. Uh, God, YouTube is really... YouTube is hard to talk about, frankly, because there's... Uh, obviously, there's a lot of great stuff going up, and it's wonderful that people can make careers out of that, but, God, the amount of just unregulated, awful bullshit from... You know, people who don't have anyone preventing them from being terrible. Mm. And I don't know, like, watching this whole Do What You Feel Festival really reminded me of, like, how the gig economy has sort of uh, meant that people who really want to do awful things now kind of can for a, for a job without mm. too much difficulty. Yeah. Like, if you just go on YouTube and you put up a video explaining, like, the awful views you have. Like, GQ magazine has interview series on their YouTube account. Sure. And I saw something today about, like, uh, you know, look at all their latest videos, and most of them are sitting on, like, 1,000 to 2,000 views. They put up an interview with Jordan Peterson three days ago that's sitting on over a million views. Mm. And there's just, there's such a market for this shit now. Just, Mm. uh, you know, these people, like, spouting this kind of, like, uh, uninformed, terrible rhetoric that is... Largely based on outdated, sexist, homophobic, just bad assumptions and thoughts. and It is not good. Yeah. So the Do What You Feel Festival, maybe rein it in a bit, you know? Sure. Maybe let some people, uh, you know, maybe talk to people about uh, the awful views you have. Have you, you know, try to learn how to be a better person. Mean- Don't just do what you feel all the time. Meanwhile, our podcasts that go up to YouTube, they're all sitting on an average of about two views by the look of it uh we don't tell anyone it's on youtube though <laughs> yeah that's true yeah i try to steer people away from youtube because i don't want to have to go there and count those numbers to figure out how many listeners we have the shining has no views good uh <laughs> auto show slash bart's friend falls in love has nine okay i think that oh no wait Lisa there's, the greek slash home alone has 12 there's I, one I, there's one that has like 35 i don't know where they came from i haven't looked at this data for a long time so i'm just taking a moment to properly check it out my oh, f- what and then you put up the man who thought he had it all together <laughs> yeah fucking hell that's a little claymation i did uh crusty gets busty has 34 ah very nice oh moaning lisa call of the simpsons has 36 now, the, the last note That's I had for this episode is that there is an extremely off-model James Brown in this episode. Oh, his body tapers in such a strange yeah. way. Enormous head, no torso. No torso. He looks like a scarecrow. He does. It is weird, frankly. Not into it. Yeah, gives a good performance. Yes. Singing that, that character little song, model. Singing that little song that he sings. Yeah. All right, Nick. Uh, do you feel like... You've lived the do-what-you-feel-like philosophy in this episode. 
Uh, yeah. What would you most like to be doing right now? I mean, I feel like I am living uh, the philosophy in this episode because at one point I fucked off to make myself a coffee. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's fine. Well, what are you going to do with the rest of your afternoon? How are you going to live? What, what dreams are you going to achieve today? Um, I'm going to probably have another couple of glasses of water. I'm going to do a bit of knitting and then go to bed. Okay. Well, I'm going to play Red Dead Redemption 2 because that's all I care about now. I can see that being a thing. Yeah, this this whole podcast... We recorded two podcasts today. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking the whole time, i got to get home to that Red Dead, baby. Well, see, I was thinking i got to get home to that knitting, baby. <laughs> and I already am home. So. Yeah, that was fast. All right, well... Uh, let me be honest, uh, Buds in a Child is an episode I'm a little muted on. Yeah. I think it's, it's okay. It's not It's not making my top five of season five. The idea that, you know, Buds in a Child. Bud is a child. He doesn't have an inner child. He is a child. That's a good point. Marge on the Lambo. Very good. Really like that one. What are you doing there? You got your guitar? You gonna play us a little song? A little Showtime ditty? No, it's alright. No? I've just got that. It's for the ending bit. Okay, okay, okay. For the Ian Springfield. Okay, well, um, thank you for listening to this, the 50th episode of Pods in the, in key, the key of Springfield. So I didn't know if you would do it, so I, oh. I jumped in too fast, really. I should have given you more time. I apologize. You're fine. See, we could have done a bit of a back and forth there. Like, I, I recognize your apology. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, I, oh, that's something interesting. In the argument that Homer and Marge have, the mm. argument is resolved by the fact that Homer says that he feels validated by what Marge thinks. Why does Homer, why, why does the entire happiness of their marriage hinge on Homer feeling validated? Oh, that's validated? the thing The Simpsons comes back to all the time where ultimately Homer being satisfied is sort of the resolution to a lot of these plot lines. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Which is weird. Yeah. At least... Uh, they didn't fall for the unnecessary p- pivot to Homer at the last moment that a lot of episodes do. Yeah. This is, yeah. Although he does uh, rescue Bart at the true. festival. And then watch McGonagall. McGonagall. The, uh, oh. the, oh, what they say about him? The detective who serves crimes in his spare time. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Good times. Okay, so this has been Pods in the Key of Springfield. We are a podcast about The Simpsons, maybe. Possibly. I've been James. He's been Nick. Hello. Our email address is podsinthekeyofspringfield at gmail.com if you want to contact us for any reason. We're on social media. You can find us. It's Key Springfield on Twitter and you know, Facebook's easy. Uh, do you have a line? Yes. Okay. Woozer Wazzle. Let's not should this fellow to death in Springfield. establishment from which we had our lunch foods yes is i find that it is always oversalted, and i'm now mm. going to be drinking water for the rest of my lifetime well you were probably going to do that anyway right to a lesser extent this is actually the first glass of water you have ever had that is a blatant lie i had one during the previous recording that we did merely an hour ago yeah that's right because you kept sipping and saying h2o this is some good water <laughs> no <laughs> Every time I had to edit it out. I mean, that's a lot of editing, actually. Yeah. <laughs> this is good water, baby. Yowza. I don't recall saying yowza. <laughs> I don't recall saying good luck. <laughs> Water's never made me yowie before. Yowie? Yeah. You mean those little... Uh, no, I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> I saw an opportunity to do a niche 90s Australian reference and decided... I just assumed you were going to start talking about Yahweh. But, uh... <laughs> As in the Hebrew name for God? Yes. Yeah, right. Um, uh, Which, of course, would have led to me talking about Jow Day. It would have been a whole thing. Oh, is Jow Day a Yahweh reference? I don't think so. Right. Uh, it's some sort of could it be con- thing. Could it be construed as such? Ah, uh, there's some sort of link there, I'm sure. Hmm. Hmm. Mm. Yes. Yeah. I like to dream. Dreams. Then leaves inside a dream. And I eat beasts.